You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your favorite CCT personality, JTAC extraordinaire, embracer of the ridiculous face, and like the shortest operator you'll ever meet, Peaches. Hey everyone, welcome back to another One's Ready podcast. You're in the team room and we appreciate you being here. Thanks for following us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher, and anything else you can find your podcasts on. We really appreciate it and we're glad that you're joining us again. So what we've got is Strikeforce Energy, veteran-owned company, um, is two prior Navy SEALs, great dudes, uh, comes in a little packet packet of energy on the go. It's great. Stuff a bunch of those in your rucksack or in your car. I mean, I've got them stashed everywhere. And then if I need some go juice, I just throw that in some water. Or if you're really ballsy, throw it straight in. Just don't dilute it at all. Just go right in. It's a bold move. It works. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And the other one is hoist. Uh, It is an electrolyte IV level hydration. It comes pre-bottled. You don't have to mix anything. Grab and go. If you're about to work out during a workout or post-workout, it's great for your hydration and will get you back on track. So uh, I drink the hell out of it. It's fantastic. Good taste. Exactly what you need. And yeah, nothing you don't need. It's not overly syrupy or, you know, I have a real problem with all the other sports drinks and hoist showed up and I'm, I'm a huge fan now. Yeah, it's not going to give you diabetes. Right. That's important. <laughs> so, okay, cool. Well, we have, we are now venturing someplace that we haven't been before. You, Stat, uh, Sergeant Kerr, are our first EOD tech that we've had on. So we appreciate you coming. And now that you're here, oh, real quick, if you are going to use those affiliates, use the promo codes when ready. Sorry about that. Okay, Sergeant Kerr. You're an EOD tech. You've been doing it for six years now. You're about to hit your second assignment after school. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on here. Uh, it's great to have the opportunity to kind of, like you said, being the first EOD tech on the show, try to give some people some information about the career field because uh, a lot of people know nothing about us. But uh, yeah, so I'm Braden Kerr. I'm from a small town in Pennsylvania called Rockwood. Um I joined the Air Force when I was 19 years old, right after high school. Uh, I joined because I didn't really try very hard in high school. I didn't really have a plan. Uh, all my friends got accepted to college, and I'm still sitting there like, uh, what do I do? <laughs> so I went and talked to an Air Force recruiter, and first I signed an open general uh, contract, which was a bad idea. Um, thankfully, my recruiter brought up EOD, uh, just kind of mentioned it in passing. It was like, Hey, you know, you're gonna blow stuff up. And then he also mentioned the nice, uh, enlistment bonus. It was like 18 grand at the time. I was like, Hmm, well, I was kind of a pyro as a kid. So, you know, the, <laughs> the, the ability to go blow something up and get paid for it sounded pretty legit, but, uh, you know, I knew nothing about it. I didn't never talk to an EOD tech. Uh, my recruiter didn't know anything about EOD. Um, and at the time there wasn't a whole lot of stuff on the internet either. So I was just kind of like, whatever, let's do it. And, uh, so I left. Uh, well, first of all, I'm you know I'm married. My beautiful wife got to give her a shout out. She's <laughs> been uh, supporting me this whole whole time. Uh, she was actually in the Air Force too. We were not tech school sweethearts. 
we <laughs> were high school sweethearts and she just, uh, you know, we kind of joined together and, and went down this path. She's out now pursuing her college degree, but, uh, so yeah, anyway, uh, went through prelim, uh, which is what we call our, it's kind of like the, the selection before we go to actual EOD school. Um, went through that. That was, a a hard time. That was probably the hardest part of the pipeline for me. Um, and then once at EOD school, which is a Navy school in, in Florida, went through there just fine. Graduated there, came here to Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana and, uh, been here since, but, uh, you know, get to one of the great aspects about my job is we get to travel a lot. So that's been cool. I've been tons of places. Uh, we can get into that a little bit later if you wanted, but, um, uh, yeah, it's, that's a pretty down and dirty about me. Everything you need to know. All right. I, I feel like I have to mention, though, before we I, I jump into the first question is I think we might have missed something by not saying this is our most explosive episode ever. <laughs> like one's ready, the most explosive. Like we'll put it. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron would have caught that. I'm I'm not as quick witted. <laughs> we'll we'll, we'll just say guy. it. Yeah, this is the most explosive episode we've ever had. Yeah. Buckle up. <laughs> right. So you you. You kind of already covered the first question or the second part of it. Um, what is the selection like? Uh, what what you know? What's the hardest parts? What do people struggle with? And also, what's it called? I think you mentioned it um, because we don't want to be answering questions for anybody um, and, and getting all of our terminology wrong, and then automatically we don't know anything about anything. So yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, preliminary course is the uh, the first part of the selection. Um, it's like 26 days of training now. Uh, it's changed a lot since the time that I went through, but luckily I uh, actually just chatted with uh, the, the NCIC over there. Uh, so thanks to him, I have a much better understanding of how things are working nowadays. Um, but basically, yeah, 26 days of training, and uh, that comes out to four to six weeks. Um, and that's you'll go there, and the whole idea with that is – to try to figure out if, you know, you kind of have what it takes to make it through EOD school. Cause it costs a lot of money to send guys to EOD school and we don't want to send them there for them to just fail out. But, uh, at prelim, they have about a 45% pass rate. So it's a, uh, it's pretty difficult. The physical training aspect of it is not what it used to be, which in my opinion is kind of a good thing. Cause we're not, you know, you have to be in shape to be in this career field for sure. But, uh, you know, we're not to the level that we need to get smoked every day. Um, so they kind of, they've geared it. I mean, but, but shouldn't you though, just because yeah, <laughs> smoke the guys every day. So they definitely, they still do have their, you know, gut check days. Uh, some, some, some days that are extremely, well, I don't want to say extremely, but they are a lot harder on PT. Um, but now as opposed to the time when I went through my generation of guys, we kind of just got beat down the whole time. And that was, we learned that that was just causing issues really in the, in the long run. It was just, people were getting hurt and we weren't getting enough people through the pipeline that needed to go through. Uh, so the way that, you know, it's, it's described is kind of send us a, send us a nerd that is, uh, is also kind of an athlete. Like that's kind of how I was. I'm, I'm not saying I'm a, a nerd. I'm kind of a dumb guy in my opinion, but, uh, <laughs> I was, uh, I was no stud by any means. I, you know, I played football, but I was pretty out of shape. I barely passed the pass test just to make it through. Um, so prelim was pretty hard for me, but, um, yeah. So nowadays it's not that difficult, uh, in the PT wise, they're just more trying to build you up, give you a good athletic foundation, uh, for, cause we've moved to the tier two test, uh, which all you guys have too, I think. Um, and for those of you that might not know, that's kind of a career field specific PT test. Um, but the, at prelim, they just kind of give you a good foundation to start prepping for the operational side of that test. 
Um, what 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 are the sticking points for for most people? Is it you know because every career field has their thing, um, and every selection course is it the the weight on your back? Is it the run times? Is it pull ups? Uh, I mean, from what you've seen and what you've heard about, what gets most people? Uh, so it's grip strength. Uh, if you take a look at our tier two test, uh, there's a ton of grip based things. So we have you know the deadlift, which they don't take that portion of it in prelim. Uh, just cause for safety reasons, we want to make sure that, cause that's probably the most, you know, the people can hurt themselves pretty easy on that exercise. So, um, but other than that, you know, we have pull-ups, we have a grip, uh, like the PSI check. I don't even remember what it's called, but the, you got that, you got to hold a, a bar in front of you, like a, a, just a static hold of the bar. You got farmer's carries. So it's, you know, it's kind of a lot of grip exercises back to back. And from what I've heard from talking to some of the prelim instructors that that's one of the hardest things that uh, candidates have is, is, you know, it's a lot of grip stuff. I I still want to make an old man joke right now. Like you guys just need to be gripping your controllers harder while you play, (laughs) while you play your stupid little games. I'm sorry. Moving forward. (laughs) Okay. So since we're already talking about selection for you guys or prelim, uh, what would be the best way that somebody who wants to enter in and be an EOD tech, what is the best way that they can prepare? Is it just doing running and pull-ups or uh, any of that? So I think uh, the, in general, they're going to do better off preparing for the academic side of it than the uh, physical side of it because they don't have, um, you know, they have the occasional person that might fail the uh, their tier two test because that's all they get tested on physically that's the only thing they can fail on is when they first show up they'll take a, an abbreviated version of the tier two test and then they need to pass that before they can start the class and then at the very end before they can graduate prelim they need to pass uh you know a little bit harder version of that test um so physically wise i mean it's it can be a little stressful if you're not in shape um but more they're they're more just trying to build you up and get you into better shape uh, so academically, I think is where the focus would be. Uh, and it's kind of hard to say what, cause you can't, a lot of our job is kind of classified and if it's not classified, it's stuff we kind of hold close to the chest cause we don't want, you know, bad guys to know our TTPs. Um, but just it's, we like to say it's like a fire hose of information. Like you show up, especially if you're like me, a kid straight out of high school, like I knew nothing about anything any of this ordinance any explosives anything military like that so i was you know i thought a bomb just fell out of the sky and hit the ground and exploded i knew nothing about fusing and, and the firing chain and stuff that's like the that. exact so, way it happens actually it's yeah, scientifically yeah <laughs> <laughs> so uh so, uh, ttps sorry what was that for everybody that doesn't know what ttps are oh yeah uh tactics techniques and procedures so that's just kind of like our how we operate and do certain things um but yeah, so I think focusing on study techniques, because uh, at prelim, you can't take anything home with you. It's all in, in class. So you'll get like an hour of study hall before class uh, where you can study your material. But basically, it's like they give you a classroom instruction, and it's a bunch of brand new stuff you never heard of. And then the next day, you'll get to study in the morning, and then you'll like test that afternoon on it. Um, and it's like verbatim stuff too. At least it was when I went through, I don't know exactly how it is nowadays, but if you, if you even like spelled something wrong on a test, it could be wrong. Uh, so it was, it was, yeah, it was pretty tough academically. So that's where the majority of the failures come from is academic rather than physical. So not swimming then. 
No, we don't swim at all uh, in our pipeline. So, <laughs> I just um, say, I just say that because we get a lot of those questions. I know I'm sure you on your Instagram page for EOD yeah. get a ton of swimming questions. We also get the same. So I wanted to make sure that there's there's no swimming for you guys. Nope, zero swimming in the pipeline. I will say that as when you're uh, working with your uh, developers and your SORs and that sort of thing. If you're able to get in the pool with those guys, you know, mm-hmm. obviously they get priority because they're the ones that actually need the swimming. But if they'll, you know, your developer or whatever will let you get in the pool with them, then it's a good idea to do that because we all know that swimming is great cardio. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's really what I've seen. Whenever I've been to a development session with one of the sores, they, everybody's in there. They, yeah. they don't, they don't exclude everybody. You're part of the team. You're getting in there. You're not expected to be able to perform at the same level as everybody else because that's not what you're going to have to do but yeah. it's good you're part of the team you get in the pool that's cool well and so you're also like worldwide deployable you know what i mean and it's not like on your deployments are like we're going to operate 500 meters or more from every body of water that's ever existed just to make sure that you know like it's a good life skill to have uh, the first time that you are in the water it shouldn't be when you're drowning you know or <laughs> yeah I don't want to be dramatic, but you know what I mean. We like to leave the water, the Navy. Uh, they're the only guys. So uh, they, we get, you know, every branch has EOD. Uh, so the Navy guys, that's their thing is the water. They're the only ones that are qualified to, you know, to take care of underwater ordinance and that sort of thing. So we make jokes sometimes, like if we get called out to something and it's in a puddle, we'll be like, all right, call the Navy, let them handle it. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Okay. So uh, real quick, you talked about academics and we always tell people because they ask, hey, should I study air traffic control? Should I study um, medicine? Should I study anatomy? Should I go be an EMT or anything like that? We always tell them, just come in as a blank slate. That way you have no bad, you know, bad traits, scar tissue that we have to then get rid of and build you back up. We want nice, clean slate. That way we can train you how we want you to be. But from what you said, like, it's, and I'm, I'm, guessing here or trying to figure it out but it sounds like being a good studier is probably more beneficial than actually taking calculus or any kind of courses to help with your math and stuff like that right yeah definitely i mean it's the same thing that we want uh on our end too is a clean slate because they'll i mean you you know you can go on the internet and try to read about how a bomb works and that sort of thing but it's if you try to have that mentality. If you try to do that and then come into the schoolhouse, you're probably going to be wrong because they teach you a very specific way of how we, you know, we, we learn it and this is the way that you need to comprehend it. So if you try to do that studying on your own, you're more than likely going to have bad habits and learn it wrong. Um, but I will say that there are tiny things that you can do that might be able to help you. Um, so if you are a guy that hasn't done basic math in a while doing, you know, division by hand, multiplication by hand. That's something you can learn converting from imperial to metric back and forth. Cause we do a lot of measurements that can help knowing, you know, cause there are some guys that might've guys and gals that might've never touched a, a ruler and they don't know what the little markings are on it. So learning that sort of thing, uh, that stuff can help, but mainly I would say, yeah, just learning how to study, how to learn a lot of brand new information would be the most beneficial. Sorry, this is just taking me back to the whole lockdown. Kids are out of school, and I've got a seventh grader, and she's figuring out surface areas and and all this other stuff. And I'm like, oh, and she's looking to me. It's like, hey, you're the old man. You're supposed to know this. 
and YouTube was my friend. Yeah. And then I looked really, really smart. And then even then, sometimes YouTube couldn't help me. So, <laughs> hey, yeah. uh, one more question since we were talking about the past. Um, and this is a question that actually you brought up that you wanted to cover because I imagine you get it a lot. But on the past, it says that it says uh, nothing about doing sit-ups or push-ups. Does that mean all you guys do is run and pull-ups? Uh, so to qualify, yes, that's all you need to do is pass the the run and the pull-ups for the pass. But, um, you know, the, the SORs and, and the developers, from my understanding, you know, I'm just kind of speaking from talking with some guys, uh, they kind of have some leeway of if you just show up and you only do three pull-ups and you can clearly do more and you, you know, barely pass the run and then you just don't do the push-ups and sit-ups, they're going to, you know, that's going to leave a bad taste in their mouth and they're not going to want to help you. And potentially you might not be able to join the career field. So I would say to qualify, yeah, that's all you need, but you definitely want to do, we want guys that, you know, do the most, do the best that they can and everything. So definitely try to crush the past. When your instructors in the prelim course say drop, the guys don't run to pull-up bars and do pull-ups <laughs> instead of doing push-ups? Exactly. No, you do everything at the prelim course. Wow. It's a lot of calisthenic stuff. So it would be beneficial to oh, get yeah. going on that. <laughs> yep, definitely. Yeah, that, 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 I, I, we talk about it all the time. Minimum requirements. The past are minimum requirements. There's going to be a whole lot of other stuff thrown your way. Being in, in good shape all around is going to be your friend. Definitely. So... I have a uh, next question is a three part. It's my favorite question I've ever asked before. It's where can y'all be stationed? Uh, basically, is it anywhere? Is it, you know, some very specific places? And then what's the day to day life in Garrison like, you know, average day for, for you guys? That is actually my favorite question. And then the third one is deployments. What are deployments like? Obviously, nowhere near anybody's water. So, where does that go? <laughs> okay. Uh, so, the first question, where can we be stationed? Uh, yeah, so it's it, it's pretty much everywhere. Everywhere that has a flight line usually will have EOD techs there because uh, almost every aircraft carries some sort of ordinance, whether it's flares or whatever. Um, so almost every base, I would say that there's EOD there. Um, what's the day-to-day life like? So this is one of the, the questions that a lot of people want to know because, you know, there's not bombs all the time. So what the heck do we do? <laughs> this is your chance. This is your chance to just <laughs> knock it out of the park. So every, every shop is different, but we have minimum requirements. So every EOD technician is required to have 16 hours a week of just pure training, whether that's classroom or hands-on training or running a, you know, basically a fake scenario where we go throw a fake bomb in the middle of a field or in a hospital or whatever, and you have to run the full scenario. Um, so that leads us, most shops do uh, two days a week, two to three days a week, completely dedicated to training. So... Uh, and then the other days you kind of do sectional work. So we have logistics, uh, you know, so we have our equipment guys, we have a lot of specialized equipment. So those guys will basically inventory stuff, make sure it functions properly, um, and do the, the paperwork side of the equipment stuff. And then you have the guys supply the guys that buy all of our cool guy gear. We got a training section, which they schedule our training. Um, and then basically just, uh, some kind of personnel type positions, basically just doing paperwork and running calendars and that sort of stuff. So the, you know, usually about two days a week, you're just doing straight up desk job, uh, which can, you know, kind of be boring, but that's how every job is. Um, and then the other days you're just straight up training the whole time. So most shops as well, like from, you know, the entire day, how it works is usually we're, 
an hour of PT is scheduled in uh, a requirement for us to do every day. So for me personally, from 6.30 to 7.30, we PT. Um, usually it's on your own. Uh, occasionally we'll do like a group workout together just for some motivation, but I uh, usually just do whatever, whatever you want. And then start the day at like 8.30 and then either doing your section work or training until uh, about 3.30 or so and then head on home. And then, as I mentioned, we TDY a ton, so that also kind of plays into the to your daily life as well. Like how many how many days a year are you guys going? So I did. Uh, I looked on the VMPF to see my numbers the other day, actually, and I out of the the five years I've been at Barksdale, I was TDY for an entire year, um, and then another I've deployed as well, so that's another six months on top of that I've been away. So. Hmm. Uh, pretty often it seems like at least seems like we're out the door all the time and and the the deployment life what's that like is it it's just like the movies like that really (laughs) there's the movie that i don't even want to say the name of it but i'm assuming that's exactly yeah that's oh (laughs) yeah well you're eod first and then you end up in marvel movies but (laughs) yeah um yeah that's a good movie but it's not a good representation of the career field at all uh so right now, especially, you know, we kind of made a name for ourselves over OIF, OEF, uh, doing the ground war because the army, you know, that was the, the, the biggest war part of the war, I, you know, it was IEDs and that sort of thing. So the army, we just wasn't able to fully, the army and the Marine Corps really just weren't able to fully support that mission on their own. So then they asked for air forces help because that's not really, I mean, it is our, one of our mission sets. We are fully capable of running an IED, but the ground war type, side of the, of the mission is not necessarily our uh our area so they requested for us to help tons of you know all the the badasses that i got raised by were out there uh almost like the hurt locker but <laughs> wearing the bomb suit doing the cool guy stuff you know almost exactly almost like exactly it. um throwing smoke grenades for no reason yeah <laughs> <laughs> you talking about you guys always have a sniper rifle handy too right uh, we actually kind of do. Um, not always handy, but we do have a sniper rifle. That is one of our capabilities. Uh, we don't use it for shooting people. Uh, we're not qualified for that. <laughs> we use it for shooting ordnance. Uh, sometimes if we, if that's one of our options, if we want to do it, we can shoot it with a 50 cal from far away and make it go away. But, uh, but anyway, back to the deployment thing nowadays, especially with no, no war going on. Um, we're just back bases, uh, kind of chilling. And then, if we are wanted for support, uh, they'll request for us and we'll send a team out um, to wherever. Like me personally, I was deployed to Aldafra in the UAE, uh, which was like being at, at home, except not at home. Like it was like pretty cush life uh, over there, hung out by the pool all the time. Uh, tried to get tan, but I couldn't because I'm just too pasty for that. But uh, <laughs> we, uh, chilled there and then eventually it was right i was there right when we were pulling out of syria and one of the bases uh they wanted eod support because they knew that there was going to be a lot more traffic coming through there so they requested from us and uh, i actually got to it was a pretty awesome experience i got to forward deploy out to syria for a few months and um live that lifestyle but um yeah and then you can look into a few other positions like we do support uh oda uh, we had some slots, some guys that were out there just rolling with ODA, either 
helping them with just being their UD techs or helping them teach the local populace, the local uh, like EOD guys, how to, how to EOD. And then uh, <laughs> we also have some guys like in Africa right now, I think that they're just straight up just teaching some African, uh, the African military, how to, how to do EOD stuff. So that's kind of what deployment life is like right now for us. Not often uh, from the guys in my generation, it's usually like one deployment within six years. Oh, wow. Okay, so you guys are like yep. fighting each other to get out there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, we are. Everybody wants to go, but we just don't have, there's not a lot of slots for us right now because all we're at are only at the back bases. So, And that's, that's just weird to think about. I mean, because we got guys that are fighting to get out the door every deployment too, but that's, you know, every 18 months yeah. getting out there and they're, they're fighting. They'll, they'll take Kane's dude's knees <laughs> if they need to. So... Yeah. Some parking lot incidents that yeah, yeah. Really happened, whatever. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to take a, a, a small step back real quick and go back to what are, what are some of the qualification requirements in order to join EOD? So those kind of like, what's the minimum ASVAP score? Are there vision requirements? Any, is there a certain physical that has to be passed? Yeah. So uh, for ASVAP wise, it's uh Actually, I think I wrote it down because I'm awful with numbers. Uh, yeah, 50 general, 47 mechanical. Wait, and wait, then, stop. You're EOD guy and you're awful with numbers? <laughs> it's not one of my best attributes. That's why I write stuff down. I know I suck at it, so okay. I, I write sorry. it down. Just I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so 50 general, 47 mechanical, and then that can actually be waived right now, I think, because uh, we're just hurting so bad for people that they'll they'll just kind of take anybody. Um and then physical wise for the past, you got to pass the mile and a half under 11 and three pull-ups. And then you have to have the ability to obtain a top secret clearance. Um, you can Google what the requirements for that are and basically just don't have ever been arrested or go to jail. I mean, you can have been arrested, I think, but just not in jail for ridiculous stuff. Um, yeah, that's a fine line. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's morality waivers and all that kind of stuff, but like, Ugh. Yep. Yeah. We can't. Um, we can't determine that. So. No, not at all. And then, vision-wise, um, there. I think. I think it's just a colorblind test right now. I'm not 100 percent sure. Don't don't quote me on that. But um, I think depth perception. There's no requirement for that. I think it's just a color color vision uh, is the only requirement. But okay. that's it. And you guys don't have to take any kind of class three flight physical like we do or anything like that, right? Not that I know of, no. Okay. It's interesting. I, you know, it's, you guys, at least historically, have been really freaking smart. And it's, you know, you, you called yourself a nerd earlier. Maybe we called you a nerd. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm, I'm foggy on that. But, um, you guys have always been seen as, as being pretty freaking intelligent. So awesome. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the, one of the bigger things that for guys listening to this to try to take away is because although we are, you know, kind of uh, spec war adjacent, we get recruited alongside all you guys and all that. Um, we're not, it's not a physical game as much for us. You got to be in shape, but the biggest thing is more just having the, the mental capacity and, being a problem solver and that sort of a thing is, are the best attributes of EOD techs. Yeah. Just like everything else, right? Motivated, uh, psychologically flexible, maybe not morally flexible as much, but yeah. So yeah. Moving on to the next question. I, I want to gloss over a little bit 
the, uh, the how long is the pipeline and get into what are all the cool schools you can get into, all the, the Gucci equipment you get, and the best things about your job type of thing, you know? Uh, but yeah, first we should probably be like, this is how long the pipeline is, blah, blah, blah. And then all the, all the awesome stuff after that. Sure. Uh, so... Yeah, like I said, 26 days of training for the prelim course. Uh, if you go straight through, uh, of course, you can uh, roll. Uh, so usually it's academic. If you get hurt or whatever, we have, um, what are they called? They have like coaches there. Uh, the same thing that you guys have um, that can help you. If you roll physically, they can help you get in better shape or fix an injury or whatever. But uh, if you roll academically, um, I can touch on that as well, how that usually works for us. Uh, so on our tests, you have to have an 85% to pass. It's a higher standard than most of the rest of the military. Um, and then if you do something that could hurt you significantly, kill you, hurt someone else, uh, something like that, then it's a 16 point hit. So it's an automatic failure. Uh, so it's pretty easy to fail tests. Um, so if you fail once, you'll get a retest the next day, usually, and then if you fail that again, you'll go to an academic review board where you'll at prelim, you walk in and it's all the prelim instructors and they kind of just kind of uh, might belittle you and uh, tell you you're dumb and ask you why we should keep you. Um, it's called counseling, actually. Yeah, it's, it's counseling. Counseling and trying to help you. <laughs> and then uh, it's the same thing at EOD school. And uh, so at, once you graduate prelim, you go to Eglin Air Force Base uh, and you go to NAV school at EOD. It's a Navy school. Um, like I said, it's all four services go through together. Um, and there it's typically uh, the total pipeline. If you go straight through, if you're lucky, is about nine months, but usually it takes your average person about a year to get uh, all the way through. But once you get to the schoolhouse, um, yeah, that's like six, six, seven months, I think on average there. And then, uh, the same thing applies for the, the testing. Uh, if you fail twice, you'll go to an ARB, except this time it's like high ranking guys from every branch of the military, which is a little bit more intimidating when you got a Marine gunny sitting there yelling at you. Uh, so then you make your case there. They might let you back into class. Um, uh, you get back in. And then if you were to double tap again, and have to meet an ARB for the second time, your chances now are very low. Uh, they might, if you, you know, if you're a motivated guy and the instructors like you and you got a lot of instructors on your side, um, and you can make your case pretty well, then they might let you back into class, but, uh, otherwise you might get booted. So then, yeah, I mean, that's really, I mean, I can go more in depth on the pipeline if you wanted, but um, you graduate there and then you go to your base and then you spend about a, your first year, uh, just learning, relearning everything. Uh, cause I mean, we all know what they teach you in the pipeline is not exactly how things work in the real world. So you kind of get there and you learn a lot of the basics for about a year. And then as far as extra cool training we do, uh, it's really, um, we don't have an exact standardized way of doing it. Um, we have a few courses that need to, we like are you're required to go to. So that's, um, ADT one and two is, uh, starting to be one of the requirements. So that's basically our weapons and mass destruction school. Uh, there you learn about some like nuclear physics and, and that sort of thing. And, um, and then you got advanced IEDs where you learn, you know, it's just, uh, instead of your basic pressure plate, it's like the movie Hollywood scenario where you got like 30 blanking lights, a million wires and a <laughs> photo cell, and you got all this different stuff going on. They teach you how to defeat all that stuff. So the, you always the cut the requirement. Yep. 
I was thinking the same thing. I was like, uh, you know, cut the red wire, cut the blue wire. Who knows which wire it is? I don't know. Yeah, you just pick. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Only pick wrong once. That's it. You won't know it. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we try to do everything remotely. We we try to be far away from it if we can while we're cutting it. (laughs) That's what the robots are for. So Um, since you guys have that that large of a – you know, attrition rate, if you will, or a pass rate, and it is academically challenging. When someone does get removed from training completely, um, are they allowed to come back or are they kind of told, hey, man, you just don't have what it takes? Yeah, no, there's plenty of cases of people going back. Uh, I mean, you have to meet the I mean, you'll get reclassed to something else and then you'll, we have right now for EOD, if you're an active duty guy and you're considering retraining, we have a waiver for us uh, and all you need is two years to retrain, which is pretty sweet. Uh, So if you are an active duty guy and you're thinking about it, go talk to your uh, uh, career advisor on base and then hit up your EOD shop on base and they'll they'll hook you up because there's a certain process we got to go through for that. But either way, yeah, good to get back to your question. There are tons of people that have you know, try it again because they fall in love with the job and they're bummed they didn't make it through. So they're like, I'm just going to do my two years and go right back in. Yeah. Do you get a lot of cross trainees then? Uh, I mean, a pretty decent amount. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, but uh, they have to spend 10 days with their local EOD shop before. And we basically just give them a yay or nay because we'll do like a little, uh, a few little tests on them basically and just see if they're worth it. And then, uh, for, I mean, in the five years that I've been in the shop, I think we've had like four or five cross trainees come through. Well, I think I got you sidetracked and Trent had originally oh, yeah. asked you about, <laughs> yeah. and, and hey, that's my fault. <laughs> but Trent had originally asked sniper, free fall, yeah. dive, cool What gear. kind of cool schools? Yeah. Gear so, you um, as far as like the um, different qualifications, uh, air assault's pretty easy for us to go through. Uh, that's the one that's probably most common for you guys to go through. Um, airborne is a possibility, um, but it's hard. We have an airborne unit, uh, the, the 820th, um, they're the base base defense recovery. I can't remember exactly what their acronym yep. is, but they, uh, yeah, we have a couple of guys with them that are airborne. Um, but as far as anybody else, any other regular guy, EOD guy trying to go airborne, it's hard, but it's not impossible. Um, and then Ranger School, anybody can go to Ranger School. We have one Ranger EOD tech right now uh, that I know of. There might be a couple more. but And um, sniper schools and all that, it's few and, and far between. There's there's occasionally, because like I said, we do shoot the sniper rifle, the Barrett. Um, I've heard of guys going to like the Barrett factory and learning about the Barrett um, and then maybe getting a little bit more specialized on the, on the Barrett, like sniper and stuff, but usually not. Um, we do... Like I had mentioned, every every shop's different, so it's basically the training section in that shop. Whatever funding they have, they kind of decide what extracurricular training we go to. Um, so we'll go to, um, you know, TCCC classes. We'll go to homemade explosive classes. There are definitely you know shooting courses we go through uh, and and stuff like that. So yeah, and cool gear. Uh, we get tons of cool gear. So <laughs> we. Uh, 
the way I like to describe it, I don't know. I'm probably going to, people are not going to agree with this, but I think, you know, welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I'm just waiting for like the EOD career field. There's just sharpshooters all the time. So as soon as this gets published, like it's going to be on all the air force EOD pages, they're going to be like, man, he said this, that was dumb. Like, all right, thanks guys. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> we it's a um, fun experience. Yeah. I'm excited for it. Uh, we, um, I was, what was I saying? What were we talking about? I just got lost right there. Uh, cool, cool gear. <laughs> oh, cool guy gear. Yeah, that's right. So we, the way that I, since we're, we are under civil engineering, which is kind of a hard thing for some people to grasp. Um, but it's kind of a good spot for us. In my opinion, we're like the coolest of the not cool guys. Like if we were, uh, if we were in the same group with all you spec war guys, we'd probably be at the lower end of the priority list, but because we're not, we're kind of at the higher end of the priority list in CE. So we get a lot of cool, good funding and, uh, we get a lot of cool guy gear. Um, I mean, we get all, we get fancy watches that tell us our GPS coordinates and all that sort of stuff. And we get all of our, you know, build up our own little kits. Uh, we do, you know, I talked about doing stuff remotely. So we use like rope and a bunch of different little tiny tools and stuff that we can use for that. We just, um, it depends on your shop, kind of the stuff that you get, but we do get a lot of cool guy gear. Dude, I will always make fun of the seer guys over you guys. Okay. (laughs) I'm just, I just want to let you know. That makes me See, feel now good. now I'm going to catch a whole bunch of crap. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just had one more. Um, uh, like, you guys get special duty pay or anything like that? Yeah, so we get uh, $150 of demo pay every month um, just for playing with explosives. And then we get special duty assignment pay. We get uh, $225 right off the bat now as soon as you graduate EOD school. And then you, it uh, goes up in your skill levels. So after, you know, once you make staff sergeant, you make seven level, you get 300. And then I think once you make master sergeant, you get 375 or something like that now. So, and then we get our signing bonus and then our reenlistment bonus. Uh, we're on par with all you guys. We get, you know, we just got bumped down to the five multiplier right now, which kind of sucks, but, uh, I guess government's hurting for money. So it makes sense. Um, but yeah, money's pretty good. That's right. I didn't even consider reenlistment bonuses for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I got mine tax free. So that was pretty legit. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay. So do EOD techs, do you guys attach to any kind of ST teams or other special operations force teams? Um, so I mentioned it's uh, the 820th base defense group. They're not really special, but I mean, they are airborne. So that that's kind of a cool aspect. Uh, we do have guys that support uh, and are attached to the 724th. It's kind of, there's not a lot of them. Um, but Don't worry, uh, we don't need to cover that stuff anyway for those but, guys. I mean, that is, a, that is a career path for us too. You try out for it essentially, and uh, that's an option. But as far as attaching otherwise, I mean, you get, uh, you got ODA, like I said, sometimes we'll attach with the ODA guys. Uh, and then it's, it's really wherever we're needed. Um, so the, the options always there to get attached with, um, you know, special forces and all that stuff. We just got to be ready for it. It's not very often, especially right now, but you know, back in the day when there was a lot of stuff going on, there are tons of dudes that attached to the, to the soft teams. Yeah. Well, you know, when you're that operational, it can be stressful. So since you deal with explosives, what would you say the most stressful part of your job is then? Uh, not the dealing with explosives part. <laughs> Usually that's, you know, one of the least stressful parts. That's the, the fun days is when you actually get to go do your job, I guess. Um, 
I would say for me personally is the balance um, between, I mentioned we have our sectional work. Uh, so uh, basically, you, get, you know, you have to know, one of the jokes we make sometimes is every other duty because uh, some of the times we just have, we end up doing other people's jobs for them because they can't do it. Like, uh, so knowing how to run the equipment section, uh, learning how to be a good UOD tech, and then also balancing TDYs at the same time, uh, you know, kind of the balance of it all is probably the most stressful part. Yeah, that's fair. I'd buy that. <laughs> so what sets you guys apart? And then you kind of hit on a little bit, but what sets Air Force EOD apart from Army EOD, Navy EOD, Marine EOD? Sure. Um, so like I'd already mentioned, the Navy EOD, uh, those guys, they got the underwater side of things. They're, you know, they dive. Um, they're also actually spec war uh, in the Air Force community or the Navy community. So they all, they'll attach the Navy SEALs. They go through like uh, dive school, jump school, all that sort of stuff. Um, so they're, they're, they're the special guys. They got cool hair all the time. Uh, we're jealous of that aspect of it, but... <laughs> They are fun. I've I've been on teams where we've had Navy EOD dudes, and they are fantastic. Yeah, that's cool, too. Bro, just get you some Adirex pomade. You're there. <laughs> I've, I've seen you them on the Instagram. They've tagged me a couple times on the joint. <laughs> there you, you go. go. Yeah, and then uh, so that's kind of the Navy's niche. Um, I mean, we all can do the same mission set, except for set apart from the Navy, they got the other side, the underwater side of it. But as far as everything else, we all can do the same thing, but we all kind of specialize, I guess, in certain areas. So the Marine Corps, they have the ground war and they also have the, the inerting mission, which is pretty awesome. So they'll, uh, basically take a live ordnance round and then extract the explosives out of it. Um, using, you know, they have a bunch of different methods to do that, but they, they're the ones that usually do that side of it. Um, while Air Force EOD can, we have the capability and uh, we're kind of trained to that level. Um, we just don't. That's not one of our things that we regularly do. Uh, the Army, they have the ground mission. That's kind of their whole thing. They're the guys that, you know, are mainly over, you know, uh, doing the overseas deployed mission right now. That's that's their biggest thing. Um, and the Air Force, so our... We got nukes, which is pretty cool. Navy has nukes too, but we have more nukes. Um, so that's kind of a cool thing. Um, we got our own if, little internal cold war going on. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's, I think that, that's a pretty cool aspect of our job, especially if you get stationed at a, a global strike base. Uh, you get a really in-depth knowledge of, of nukes and uh, you can kind of have that leg up on other people, I guess. Um, just knowing the internal workings of nukes is pretty cool. Um, and then we also have uh, our main mission is really the the, the airbase is, is what we're there for, is to protect the airbase. So you've been in deployed scenarios. That's kind of our, our main mission over there. Wait, I got my notes here. I have some rapid-fire questions. So Ooh. I think we've covered a few of these already. But um, you said you're not smart, which doesn't make sense, though, because you're like, also, I know everything about nukes. So you're, <laughs> you're kind of... I don't, I don't know what to think about you. I think you're actually a spy. So here we go. Uh, first rapid fire, why do EOD candidates go through prelim at Shepherd before EOD school at Eglin? I think uh, you answered that. Because going to EOD school costs a good amount of money. And before we had prelim, we were just sending guys, tons of guys through. Tons of guys were failing. So they implemented the prelim course to try to weed out those people that would fail when they get there and make sure we're sending the right people to EOD school. Right, and it's a joint course, right? And no one likes sending Air Force dudes to a joint course and they fail out. That's, yeah. 
If you don't know, that's no bueno. (laughs) All right. Next one. How does EOD translate to civilian job opportunities? Um, So graduating EOD school, uh, I might be wrong on this, but uh, as far as I know, graduating EOD school qualifies you as a UX01 technician. So you can uh, apply for UX01 jobs, which is basically like clearing uh, bombing ranges on in the civilian world, uh, and then you can also do some stuff overseas as you, as that technician. Um, and then uh, you, as far as bomb squads, local bomb squads like uh, fire departments or local police departments, they usually have a bomb squad. Um, you most of the time you can't just directly join the bomb squad. You'll have to do five years or so as just a regular guy before you can apply for the bomb squad. But with an EOD background you're more qualified. Your application would probably go higher on the stack. Um, and then all the lettered agencies, well, I don't want to say all, but most of the lettered agencies have some sort of EOD position, like the FBI has special agent bomb techs. And it's the same case with them. You got to do f- about five years as a regular guy before you can apply for that. Um, and then you also have the Secret Service side. We work with the Secret Service a lot. And uh, they love EOD guys because we already know what what they they're doing that's one of our tdys that we do all the time is uh, secret service support so uh they know that you guys already know what what they need to be doing so it's pretty easy uh should be pretty easy for an EOD tech to get uh, a job with the secret service sweet all right do you have to speak with a soar to go eod um i'm not a hundred percent on this one either but i think you do have to speak to a soar usually you're you're a uh, regular recruiter will send you to a SOAR to, to sign an EOD contract. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, do you all have officers? Yeah, we do. So um, each almost every single flight has an officer that runs a flight, um, and they have to have an engineering degree and be a regular civil engineer officer for like a year or two before they can apply to go to EOD school. Then they'll go to EOD school right alongside us, the enlisted guys, uh, which is pretty cool. And then, uh, yeah, once they're in their flight, in the flight, they're not really an operational EOD tech, although they are as qualified as we are. They just don't really, you know, they're more of the management side of things. Um, and then the career path for them is kind of crappy. Uh, they, uh, there's not a lot of slots. Usually after captain, you're, you're kind of done. Uh, you'll go back to regular civil engineering after that. Mm. Good, good, good things to know. Yeah. And then I guess that kind of leads into why is EOD under civil engineering in the Air Force? Uh, so there's a lot of different aspects to it, funding and, and whatnot. But um, I think the main reason that I like to explain why we are is uh, the air base recovery side of it. So say one of our, our near peers uh, were to bomb a runway, um, a lot of what is left over is instead of holes is a lot of unexploded ordnance and they do that on purpose. Uh, they have a large failed, um, large dud rate on purpose because it takes a long time to clear, um, ordnance. So that the job of clearing a runway is civil engineering. They're the ones that have to go out there and patch the holes and get a, um, operating strip up and running for planes to get off the ground and air superiority is what we need in a time like that. So that's like the number one thing that needs to be done in that situation is get the airfield uh, running so we can get birds up in the air. Uh, so EOD um, plays a huge vital role in that and that we have to go out there first and clear all of these ordinance. Um, well, maybe not all of them, but what we need to clear uh, for them to open up that part of the runway. Uh, so just 
that's one of the bigger reasons why we're under civil engineering is they own the airbase recovery and EOD plays a huge part in the airbase recovery. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, the next one, I think you've already answered. Does EOD accept cross trainees in prior service and how common is it? You said kind of common. I was like, yes, and it happens. So first term airmen cross trainees is all we're taking. Uh, we don't take any career airmen at the moment. Uh, you know, there might be the exception here and there, but it's not not a thing really. And then uh, prior service, we at the moment are not accepting any prior service um, unless they are already EOD qualified. So if they were an Army EOD tech and they're trying to come over to the Air Force, uh, it's kind of case by case situation needs to run through our career field manager. But uh, that is the only prior service we accept is if you're already EOD qualified. I wonder why that's so different for you guys than it is for us, because we get prior service, cross trainees, sister service, all the time. So uh, from my understanding, it's mainly because we have that the first few years of your, uh, you know, E1 or usually it's E2 or maybe or usually E3 uh, through E5 and E6 is kind of like the your foundation of learning as an EOD tech. So if we bring in guys that are coming in with already at, an E6, you know, career airmen and that sort of thing, they're missing out on a huge vital part in our career field because being a team member is what you are first. You know, you're the guy that puts the tools together. You're the guy that, um, you know, is, is run driving the robot and trying to understand everything that's going on. And then once you get to that E5, E6 and above level, you're the team leader. So you're the guy on the ground. That's like, you're making the decision. You're the guy that puts the bomb suit on. So uh, you kind of need those first few years to be a good EOD technician. Okay, I'll buy it. Yeah, makes sense. And yeah, it's funny though how uh, most people are trying to get into the Air Force and it's not the other way around. Just want to put it out there. We're <laughs> the best. All right, uh, last question is what's with the crab thing? <laughs> yeah. Tell us uh, about the crab. I mean, it's it's pretty simple, really. Uh, our badge, the EOD badge, kind of looks like a crab from a distance. So it just that name got brought up many, many, many years ago and they kind of stuck with the, the name with what we call the badge. And, uh, there's nothing else to it. I've heard speculation cause our school used to be in, in Maryland originally. And I've heard speculation that it had something to do with like, you know, the blue crabs or soft shell crabs in Maryland or whatever. But I don't know. I think it's just cause it, our badge kind of looks like the crab. <laughs> it's not like the bomb suit thing going on or anything. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> So the, the, the robot also has a claw. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, that's the end of the rapid fire questions. Is there anything that you wanted to reattack or that you wanted to address since you run the, you know, the EOD page on Instagram? You know, you get inundated with questions. So is there any last reattacks that you want to do or you want to cover? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll just say that anybody that's interested, uh, from what I've talked, learned from talking to some of the newer guys is that, uh, a lot of the, the SORs don't know about EOD really. So they're not really pushing guys to EOD. And then some of the people that want to join EOD, they're not getting the answers they might need. So reaching out to the joint air force EOD page, uh, I think is a good way to go about if you want answers, uh, questions answered, you know, I'm there for you. And if I don't know the answer, I got, a ton of people in my back pocket that can help me find the answers. Um, my, you know, leader EOD leadership is very supportive of the page and helps me out all the time, which is cool. Um, so yeah, just reach out if you want to learn more about EOD. Um, 
And I, it's, it's pivotal that people try to understand that we are, you know, the, the days of the hurt locker, uh, are, are gone for us right now. And we're, we're, you know, everybody's, are, if you read the national defense strategy and that stuff, uh, our focus is on near peers rather than, you know, the terrorists over there. So we play a huge role in the near peer war as well. Um, but it's just not what, it's not the sexy stuff that everybody saw of VOD in the past. It's not putting on the bomb suit and IEDs all the time. It's more UXOs and, and just basic explosive knowledge. So if you, if you want to, this job and you come in understanding that, you know, you're not going to be doing IEDs all the time and you're not even going to be doing UXOs and, and bombs all the time, you know, you'll be sitting at your desk a lot and that's a good thing for everybody. Um, uh, it's, <laughs> but you just got to be willing to come in and just train all the time and be the best EOD tech you can possibly be. Sounds good to me. Trent, you got any final reattacks? Man, I, I, I'm, I'm not joking anymore. Like, I learned a lot sitting down with you. Uh, I've only met EOD guys a few times. Usually it's overseas, and it's like, hey, we're bringing EOD guys along. They've always been super cool, and it's always nice to have them around. Uh, they are the smart guys, and uh, I think what you guys do is awesome. So I really appreciate you coming on. It was, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, and just I really, pretty amazing, I, I really hope like. <laughs> just pretty amazing. Yeah, and hopefully you don't catch too much crap for coming on. No, I mean I'm okay with it. That's one of the things, and uh, that's one of the things I wanted to mention too about the career field is we we got a lot of traditions, and uh, one of them is when you we try to avoid showing up unpublicized stuff, even though people love to take pictures of us. Uh, so usually we'll, we'll owe, we'll owe the guys a couple rounds of beer for showing up on stuff. So I know people are going to call me out for this and be like, all right, where's the beer at? Oh, you're going to owe something. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Okay. Well, for the audience, EOD is a viable option. If you are interested in joining air force special warfare, give it some serious thought though and prepare yourself physically and from the sounds of it mentally as well. Um, we've said it before, contact the special operations recruiter or SOAR immediately. If you're even considering joining EOD or any of the Air Force Special Warfare career fields, see a SOAR. The regular Air Force recruiters can help you, but you're missing out on a lot of information and a lot of training opportunities by not going to a SOAR. So reach out to them immediately so that they can give you um, any kind of immediate disqualifiers that you may have. So gone are the, and if you're worried about like, hey, I'm going to show up on a Friday to the recruiter and I'm shipping out on a Monday, those days are gone. This takes months of processing, medicals, physical, uh, physicals and all that kind of stuff. So it takes time. So if you're on a timeline or you got to, you know, Get in quick, you need to go see them immediately. So we sincerely appreciate you guys tuning in. If you want, please leave us a review, subscribe, and we will see you next time. Go out and learn each breath. Later, y'all. <laughs>